We're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. As we've been in this, we've been talking about how we are a new creation in Christ. And so as we, we've begun to transition a little bit into a spiritual warfare aspect of this, because it's important to know a number of things. And, and it comes down to Romans chapter 8. And verse 6 says, To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And often when we've read this, we, we look at this as from a moral standpoint. To be carnally minded is you're thinking bad things. And then to be spiritually minded is you're thinking good things. But it's deeper than that. Because to be carnally minded is you're doing things according to the ways of this world. And to be spiritually minded is you're doing things according to the ways of Scripture. Doing things as God would say. And we've begun to transition a little bit. We're going to do this again today. We're going to dig in deeper. And because we've got to understand something, is that if you don't know this, you are in a battle. You may not realize it. And oftentimes, while we mentally assert, well, of course, we're in a battle. We don't act like every day is a spiritual battle. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against some, for who think of us as if we walk according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And so as we've got into this stuff, we begin to say there are four questions that every believer must be able to answer and answer from a biblical position. Who is God? Who am I in relationship to God? How do I worship God? And who is my enemy? And we've got through the first three. We didn't go completely through them all as, like, as in-depth as we could. But we've been focused on this last one because we need to know who we're battling against. This is what we think of. We think of spiritual warfare. We literally think of angels and demons battling and all of this kind of stuff because we see that in movies. We read about it in books or TV shows or whatever the case may be. But who's doing the battling is the question. Because in order to answer this, who is my enemy, we need to know, well, okay, who is he? We looked at his name. What does he look like? Not like that. What is his name? And then it drills down a little further. It's like, well, how does he attack? And where does he attack? And all of these, we break these down. And the simple answer to that is he attacks in which way? It is through the mind. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may, able, may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And I told you that word wiles is the word methodos. It literally means to be a road of which he travels. And the idea that comes from this is this, this enemy that will throw a rock time and time and time again until finally there is a crack in the armor and he can break through. So if you begin to study spiritual warfare aspects in the scriptures, you will begin to see that it is a very real thing that is going on. But you may ask the question, well, wait a minute, I thought Jesus defeated him at the cross. He did. He absolutely did, which tells us one thing. And that thing is, is if you're in defeat, it's your fault. Because you have allowed the enemy to come in. You've allowed him to uh, dwell in your mind or influence you in some way or another. And I want to show you this concept. Now, some of this I have taught in the past. Some of this is new that I've never taught here before. But as I was praying through all of this stuff, it, it dawned on me, especially over the last 24 months, of how 
um, inept the church is today, the body of Christ, when it comes to spiritual things, and also how much we have been blinded by the enemy. And we don't even know it. That's what's interesting. Now look at this. The enemy attacks in what way? Well, it starts with an individual. An individual person. It goes basically in three groupings. The first one being the individual. He comes in in what way? He begins to make you think wrong. And if you think wrong, you will act wrong. Children that are raised in Muslim countries think that it is okay to murder the infidels. They think that's perfectly acceptable because their entire life they've been told, this is what you do. But here to say that would be just crazy. We would never do anything like that. We have a different moral framework of which we approach things. But the enemy will begin to attack individuals. And when we think attack, what do we think? Ah, sickness, disease, big things, bombs exploding, all that kind of stuff. No, 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 no. It's these little thoughts that are implanted. Sometimes they're flat-out lies. Sometimes they're partial truths. But he will begin to get you to think incorrectly, and thus it will uh, impact everything you do from there on out. If you've ever been offended, I can assure you, you have experienced the attack of the enemy. Because you can only be offended what you allow. And then from there, it goes to this next phase. And it's a group. Now, what does a group look like? It could be a group that could be a church. It could be a group that could be an organization. It could be a group that is a city. These groupings can be in any which way. But he goes in this order because he doesn't just show up to a group and say, listen, this is what y'all are going to do today. It's a group of individuals that were first impacted and then together collectively they begin to come together. In fact, you may have seen this before and I'll use church examples of this, but you'll see it in every part of the world is that you'll have an individual that is upset about something in a church setting of some sort and they begin to rile up the troops through gossip. And suddenly you've got a faction over here that believes A and a faction over here that believes B and what ends up taking place? They split the church. Who won? Neither one. The enemy. And I'm going to show you some specifics in this as we go on. And then the last part here is once these two have been accomplished, we get an entire area. An area could be a city, a state. It could be a country. I mean, there's, there's things to go with all of this. But I assure you, there are people in this room today that are experiencing the individual aspect of this. And I also assure you, and I can prove this to you biblically, they don't even realize it. Do you realize that the enemy uses believers to attack other believers? Absolutely. And you think, how is that even possible? How does that happen? In order to get into these three areas, I have to first lay a foundation. And that's what we're going to do today. The foundation of understanding how he moves. You know that he attacks individually starts up here. But how and what caused him to act this way? You see, to understand how he attacks us individually, we have to understand what caused him to fall in the first place. Because I'm going to use the term Satan. Remember, we've talked about that. It's not a proper name. Satan means adversary. Devil means diabolos. Lucifer means light bearer. These aren't necessarily proper names, but I'm going to use them because I can't help myself just like the rest of you. I was taught it my entire life. I just can't get past it. But we have to understand something. There was a time in which Satan had not fallen. There was a time in which he was perfect in all of his ways, just like the rest of creation. Do you realize that creation was perfect? Adam was the first perfect human being, and then Eve after? Do you realize that all the animals were once perfect? All of the angels were once perfect? Everything was perfect. There was nothing wrong. 
but something changed. And we need to begin to understand what. And to understand this what, we've got to go to Scripture. Now, there's two parts to this. The what caused him to fall, and what do we know about him? He hates mankind. We're going to see why today. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 12. Now, I'm skipping over some context to understand. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28 are believed by almost everybody. There's always arguments in everything. It doesn't matter what it is. Uh, a, A reference to the fallen one, okay, Lucifer. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You who weaken the nations. Verse 13, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Now, let's stop for a minute. These are called the five I will statements. When did he say this? Does it give us a time frame? It doesn't. Not necessarily. Did he ever verbalize these? He says it said in his heart. So he just come right out and said, I am going to do all of these things. Not according to this. Not necessarily. Does it talk about when he took a third of the angels with him? No, because honestly, there's a good chance that hasn't happened. At least not here. All these beliefs that we have, we have no reason to believe them outside of we've been taught them. So what is going on here? He said in his heart, I will ascend into heaven. Now, if you've been around for a while, you understand that if you... And what I have taught in Genesis 1 and 2 is the Garden of Eden was planted by God on day 6. He put man in the garden to tend and keep it. That was the domain of God. There was a mountain there. I could prove this all scripturally. I'm not going to do it today. I've done it before. It'd just take too long. We would never get through this stuff. But there was this mountain there, and this was the domain of all of God's created beings. The family of God consisted of man and angels, the animals, everything created alike, all here. What did he say? I will ascend into heaven and exalt my throne above what? The stars of God. What are the stars of God? It is a reference to angels. So he's going to exalt his throne above that. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. Again, we're talking about Eden. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like whom? The Most High. What did he not like? To be subservient. But it doesn't tell us why. It just says that he's done this. If you back up to verse 11, there's something you'll see here. It says, your pomp has brought you down to Sheol. And the sound of your string instruments, the maggot, is spread under you. And the worms cover you. Now, what is this talking about? Well, first thing is, what is the word pomp? I think I've got a slide for this. I hope I got it. Pomp. What is the Greek or Hebrew word used for pomp? Because we know this word. It's geon. And what it means is that it's this arrogance, this eminence, or this pride that he has. You guys familiar with the song Pomp and Circumstance? You may not know it by name, but if you've ever gone to a graduation, you know it by sound. Pomp and Circumstance. Don't know why they named it that. Because there's no lyrics that I'm aware of. And so his arrogance has lifted him up to the point that he is going to exalt his throne above all the congregation of God. In fact, he will be like the Most High. There was something about him that made him puffed up to the point that he thought he was a bigger deal than what he was. And we see here the sound of your stringed instruments. Now that's interesting to me. What stringed instruments? Was he a guitar player? Maybe. Maybe he had a pretty wicked ukulele. I don't know. 
Oh, no. And we know Charlie Daniels was never wrong. Could be string instruments. You know, there's a difference between a violin and a fiddle. Violin that you don't want to listen to, but the fiddle's fun. So now, as we're putting this together, we're seeing, okay, what is going on here? Something has caused this to happen. This string instrument as a part of that. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 28. Again, a description of Lucifer. Verse 12, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. God called it perfect. You were in Eden, the garden of God. And this is where I get some of this stuff. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, diamond, barrel, onyx, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and the emerald with gold. The workmanship of your temporals and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. So apparently he's kind of a big deal. Now we talked about this anointed cherub part and how he was one who covers. We talked about how he's over this. But now we see these instruments. So we see stringed instrument and we see wind instrument. Verse 14, you are the anointed cherub who covers. I establish you. In other words, God placed him in whatever position that he had. You were on the holy mountain of God. Remember, think Eden. Where was he? He just said you were in Eden, the garden of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created until iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within. Does that mean he was creating torment and war on this world? No, the violence was within. That violence could be hatred. Same kind of word. And you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuary by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you. And I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a whore and shall be no more forever. I mean, these are bold words. And if you look at the context, you need to get to see some other stuff. But the gist of it is what caused him to fall? It was his pride. He began to think of himself as bigger than what God had placed him. And apparently, the anointed cherub wasn't a high enough ranking for him. But what caused this? This is in a perfect world. This is in a creation that lacked nothing. We lack things. But they lack nothing. What caused this? Well, most theologians, if you look this up and you read commentaries, will suggest that in one way or another, Satan was the worship leader of heaven is the instrumentation and things that it was talking about. And we see it in verse 11 of chapter 14 of Isaiah, it talks about his string instruments, but there are basically two types of instruments described in Ezekiel. You got the timbrels and the pipes, and some translation will say the tambourines and the flutes. This is why I say tambourines are of the devil. Nobody should have one, right? Y'all, you guys remember the 90s when everybody brought a tambourine to church? Are we not happy those days are over? It belongs in the hands of a percussionist and him only if there's going to be one. And we don't need that kind of noise going on in this place. I'm off my soapbox. I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. Thank you, Jesus. We're fine now. Okay. But these were these percussive instruments, the pipes and the flutes, the stringed instruments. There's basically only three types of instruments when you break it down. Strings, winds, and percussion. That's it. Those are the only three types. We see them described here as being a part of Lucifer or Satan or whatever you want to call them. 
And that's why it's suggested that he's a worship leader. But there's another part that often gets overlooked. And here's why it gets overlooked. Because we read things and we don't know what they mean, but we glaze over it and we don't take the time to look. We make assumptions of what this might mean. But in verse 16 and verse 18, it talks about by the abundance of your trading. Do I have that up there? By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. What is the abundance of trading? Doesn't make sense. Go to verse 18. Do I have that up there? Good. Look at me. It says, you defiled your sanctuary by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. It's the same thing. But we don't know what that means. Because what is he trading? Well, let me explain it. And this is an analogy that I can use, but this is what it means in the Hebrew. Okay? If Mason has a vehicle for sale, he owns a car dealership. And Mason says, Chris, I work for Mason now. And he says, Chris, I want $1,000 for this car. And I was like, okay, no problem. And I get somebody that shows up in one of two ways. The first example would be someone comes up and I say, hey, man, I can sell you this car for $1,200. And they say, sold. Now, what's the right thing to do? Who owns the car? Not Chris. Mason does. You're like, Mason, I know you want 1000 but I got you 1200 But instead... I say, here's your $1,000. The other side of that is, he wants $1,000. A guy comes up and he offers me $800. I say, I can't do $800. i got to have $1,000. We go back and forth. I finally convince him, all right, $1,000. I go to Mason's like, man, I tried. But he offered me $800. I knew you wanted it sold, so I went ahead and took it. I give him the $800. What's happened? Something that rightfully belonged to Mason that I was in the care, custody, and control of, and it was my job to bring that to him, I have kept for myself. Make sense? You guys following me? The abundance of your trading is he being the worship leader. Worship was to flow through him and go to God. But he began to take that for himself. That is literally what this is talking about. He was keeping back part of the worship that belonged to God for himself. He began to puff himself up. He wasn't pointing people to the source he was taking that for himself now we do this naturally all the time and we don't even do it I, I've, I've you guys know I've owned business in the past I've had employees and sometimes employees steal did you know that if you've never had an employee let me tell you sometimes they steal and when they steal sometimes it's intentionally like I'm taking this it doesn't belong to me and I'm rightfully doing it. the other side of it is is twofold one is called time theft because they're screwing around and you're paying them. The other side is, in somehow or another, they would never intentionally steal from you, but they justified in their mind, oh, I'm just going to take this gallon of gas, you know, it's no big deal, things like that. That's what happens. But when you are put in a position that you are the caretaker over something, now it is just as if it is your own, but rightfully it belongs to the originator. You guys think about the parable of the talents, what was given to them, an expectation of a return and they didn't do it so pride filled him causing him to seek to be worshipped instead of transferring that over to whom it properly belonged to but what caused this why did he act this way again we're thinking about this and i mean I, i'm putting this in a hierarchy and i am speculating a bit here but if he is the worship leader of god the anointed cherub which means he is covering over he is elevated at a position above. He was perfect in all his ways. There's not another angel described in this way, individually. 
And so it's like, man, God went to great detail here. Why was that not enough? What caused him to say, you know what? This belongs to me. I need to be up here. Something, it is pride, but it's something else. Let's go to Job chapter 38, verse 1. I want you to begin to see something here. In Job 38, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now, we know the story of Job. Job was doing really well. The accuser of the brethren comes. He's like, well, he only worships you because I can't touch him. Nothing bad ever happens to him. And God says, all right, well, fine. You know, go nuts. And we know how the story ends. Verse 2. Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Now, this is God talking to Job. He's asking him a question. Where were you? When I laid the foundation of the earth, tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? And who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, what we're seeing here is that as God created everything, what day did God create the angels on? We don't know. It does not say. But what it implies here is the morning stars sang together. The sons of God shouted for joy. They were there when what happened? When the cornerstone was laid to the earth. This would have been prior to man. They watched God do this. They witnessed the creation of all living creatures, including what? Man. In Hebrews 1, we see Jesus going into a little, bit, uh, a little more detail about him, that he's higher than these angels. Go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had uh, by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he said, Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? So what do we see? Jesus higher than the angels, they are doing what? They are worshiping him, in a sense. Verse 8, But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And you, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said... Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So we see the distinction between the Son and the angels. Fair enough? Verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Now here's the question. Who is they? They being the subject is a reference to angels. And what position do they have? Are they not all? How many of them? All of them are ministering spirits for whom? Those who will inherit salvation. Now, here we go. Pop quiz. Who inherits salvation? Man. 
And if you want to be politically correct, woman too. Okay? But you get it. So what we see is that every angel that God has created is sent forth to do what? Serve man. Minister to man. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now here's the question. What other creation did God create in this manner? The answer is none. What other creation did God give this authority? The answer is none. Whose responsibility was it for the pinnacle of the creation on earth and when God planted the garden? That was man. You see, you have to understand something. God's creation of man is the top. All angels were created to do what? Minister to those who will inherit salvation. Who does that include? Lucifer. Now, this is what's interesting, because what we know about him is he was beautiful. He was perfect in beauty. He watched mankind be created. It was what we gather from Job. He had to have been. We know that all angels are sent forth to serve mankind. And here you have the most beautiful creature sent to serve what? What did God use to make man? Grab some dirt. This was the pride and the jealousy. Think about that. He's up here. And now you want me to serve that? They don't even wear clothes. Got no pants on. Can't take that seriously. I mean, think about this though. But imagine. But but here's the thing. It's the pride that puffed him up because he began to look at himself greater than he should because where should all glory funnel back to god but he began to take that for himself mankind what where are we a vessel that receives glory or are we a vessel that shows the source of glory that's what we are that's what all creation is everything created points to God. That's why in Romans 1 it talks about that they are without excuse because even the invisible things show the greatness of the creation of God. This is our responsibility. This is his responsibility. And yet, interestingly enough, is when you begin to have problems with people in your life, you can always trace it back to one thing. It is pride. When you think of yourself more highly than you ought, you will begin to hear the voice of Satan, forgive the phrase, and he gets in here, you're better than that. It's why churches today have no problem getting people on a worship team and filling in the pulpit. You know where they struggle? Diaper changing. Cleaning the bathrooms. You think I'm joking. I mean, that's where it is. Because, oh, I don't want to do that. Nobody wants to do that. It's got to be done. You see, we are prideful. That is why in most organizations, when you have these big CEOs and things like that, and there's trucks to be unloaded, where's the CEO? Not unloading the truck. 
Now, don't misunderstand me. Everybody has a role and there's things for that. But the thing is, is that at the end of the day, spiritually speaking, we are all the same. There's not a hierarchy of positioning with God. We're all justified by Him. And this is where we begin to have problems because God did not create Lucifer in His image. He created man in His image. And He's like, I refuse to serve man. So He began to take worship on Himself. And I'm going to build upon this here in the next couple of weeks, but you've got to understand this. You see, it's like an extension cord. Anybody ever have one? Ever use one? Here's something you may not know. What does an extension cord do? It extends the source of the electricity to wherever you need it. But you know what it's not? The source of the electricity. You see, the electricity is coming from one place. But you never walk out and be like, oh, I'm so grateful for this electrical cord. Because it produces power. Somebody might do that. I don't know. You see, we are in the same boat. This is why pride is the ultimate source of every single sin that is out there. It's why when a husband cheats on his wife, it's ultimately pride that caused him to do it because now he's like, I am better than she. I'm going to find something that meets my standards. That is why when people steal something from somebody else, they're prideful thinking like, well, ultimately that belongs to me. I need that. It's always pride. It's pride in everything. When you believe and you trust in your job or your farm or your business as your source for income. I mean, it's like we talk about giving. It's a pride issue because it takes a humble heart to have faith in God that if I give this 10% or whatever the number is, that God can bring more to me. I've had people for years tell me, it's like, well, listen, I'm in a position right now, I don't really make a whole lot of money, I can't afford to tithe. But man, if I start making more money, I will do it. You know how often that happens? It's infinitesimal. I may have just made that word up, I don't even know. I mean, it's such, a, because I have seen people, quote unquote, hit the lottery, I don't have enough money because I spend it on X, Y, Z and getting things, the, the cycle never ends. It's pride that caused him to fall. It's pride that causes us to fall. The reason you're offended by somebody is because your pride tells you you should be. This is where we have a problem. He was no longer giving credit for the light to the light bearer, but he was beginning to receive it for himself. Do you guys get that? Because this is foundational going forward. Because when he attacks individually and in groups and areas, it all starts right in here. We think of ourselves more highly than we are. In Colossians chapter 3, Verse 12, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has to complain against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Okay. What does it say? You are chosen by God. You are holy, set apart, and loved by Him. So therefore, because of that, you put on these tender mercies. You put on kindness. It doesn't say you like it. It says to do it. Humility, meekness, long-suffering. You put up with one another. You ever done that before? Of course you have. So have I. Even as Christ forgave you, you must also forgive those. Why? If you're harboring unforgiveness, your pride says they hurt you too deep and they don't deserve it. It takes a humble heart to say, you know what? It's okay. I forgive them. We've all been there. We've all been in scenarios where somebody has wronged us and we react in a certain way. I've been there, you've been there, we've all been there. 
The question is, what is causing us to react that way? It ultimately comes to pride. Look at verse 14. But above all, these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So what are we supposed to do? Whatever we say, whatever we do, should be giving thanks to God in the name of the Lord Jesus. How are we doing? See, the thing is, is that we do not recognize the spiritual attacks that are going on us right now. There are people in this room, I can guarantee you, that have been under the influence of the enemy and they don't even realize it. And we always think like crazy stuff like poltergeist or the exorcist and stuff like that. It's way more subtle than that. That kind of stuff can and does happen. Maybe not the spinning neck and projectile green vomiting stuff. That's a little out there, but a little out there. But there's some crazy stuff. But the thing is, is we don't even recognize how the enemy has infiltrated our minds and is directing our words and our paths. And our attitude is, I don't need that. I don't need this. Because we think we've got it all figured out. It is a humble heart. When somebody gives their life to Christ, what have they just done? They have now humbled themselves and said, you know what? I am a sinner. And I need a Savior. We forget that, but that's where we started. But now we get to a point where we think we've got it all figured out and be like, I don't need this. You see, it was pride that caused him to fall. Now, why does he attack mankind? Because he hates mankind. You guys get that? So keep that in the back of your mind as we go forward because everything plays off of that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that as we continue to just dive into it, and mine out the info that you have left for us, Lord, that we can see exactly how we act, why we act, and how we should behave, Lord. But Father, we want to do what Colossians says, that every word we speak and every action we take, we do it in your name, giving thanks to you. Lord, may we be a beacon of light, not the light source, but the reflector of light that is showing people your Son, showing what you have done, showing your goodness and your mercy. Lord, that we may show what Scripture says, that we may show your power, that we may show your truth, Lord, that we will show every aspect of who you are to the world around us. And we will not get caught up in the muck and mire and the nonsense that goes on, Lord, but we will rise above because you have said we are above. Lord, may this be less about us and more about you. Lord, I thank you for what you've done and continue to do in our lives. I thank you that we are moving forward and we're moving to higher places, Lord, and we will never settle for those things that you have said are beneath us. But we will press into the greater things that you have for us. Be glorified in every aspect of our lives, in every word we speak and action we can We give you the glory. In Jesus' name. God bless you guys. Have a great week. See you Wednesday.